morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. And if you want to follow in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1077. Now, a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet, are you going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Borada, good morning to you all. Oh, nice receptive congregation. Thank you. My name is Sean. Um, I grew up in this church, actually, but that was sort of back in the day, you know, in the olden days of the 90s. So you may not recognize me, but you certainly will recognize my mam, who is sitting over there playing the organ this morning. So even though we don't think we're related to Reverend Kai, we're related to one another. So there is a Reese takeover here this morning. It's such an honor um, to be opening the word of God for you this morning. I never take that for granted. It's such a privilege. And um, I'm prayed up, I'm prepared. And um, yeah, let's just pray, shall we, that the Lord speaks um, in and through his word this morning. Lord, you are so good. And in this season of preparing towards Easter, we prepare our hearts to once again recognize just how good you are. And Father, this morning, I pray that you would reveal to us new truths from your word. I pray that you'd reveal new truths about who you are and what you're like, that we might walk out of here changed and more fruitful in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start this morning, if that's okay with you, by asking a question. And if you could respond just by lifting your hand, if the answer is yes, that'd be wonderful. I wonder if you... I wonder how many of you have ever experienced a miracle. Yeah, that's great. Okay, you can put your hands down, so that's wonderful. And perhaps if you've not experienced a miracle, that's okay. How many of us have either experienced a miracle or have heard of someone who knows somebody who's experienced a miracle? 
Yeah, that's so healthy. That's wonderful. See, our God is a God of miracles. Let me tell you about um, one that I encountered. Um, Back in the day, in the 90s, a group of us went to Soul Survivor Festival. I'm sure you've heard of it. Used to gather in this massive tent um, down in Shepton Mallet, and we would worship and hear from the word. And one evening, Mike Pilavachi, who ran these festivals, basically just stopped the meeting and said, I believe that the Lord is here with healing on his heart. Great. So he asked everybody who needed healing to put their hands up and then crowds of us gathered around the various people and we started praying for their healing. But out the corner of my eye, I noticed that there was a young man in a wheelchair and I noticed some really young lads who I knew going up to pray for him. Now, can I confess right from the start my complete unbelief? I thought, oh boys, what are you doing? What are you doing? Could you not pray for somebody with a headache? Would that be more socially acceptable? But no, they were going to pray for this young man in a wheelchair. They prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing happened and the band kept playing. And I thought, boys, we've prayed, we've asked, let's move away. But they kept on going. And time was going on. And, you know, the meeting was starting to come to an end. And I thought, oh, boys, what on earth? And all of a sudden, this young man who'd been scrumpled up in his wheelchair stood up. Yeah, feel free. My jaw hit the ground. Not only that, I felt so ashamed. I felt so ashamed that I had lacked the confidence and the faith to believe that God might just want to heal something as serious as that. Lord, forgive me, have mercy on me even now. But my issue was, having seen the boy stand up, I thought that was game over. But no, these praying boys thought that they, you know, had had a little bit of a taste for healing and now they wanted to see him walk. And I was like, Mm, okay. But in my head, I'm struggling with this tension by now of, well, do you know what? Last time I thought that God wouldn't, couldn't, shouldn't do it. And now he might just do it. So I'm fully, you know, viewing what is going on. And the boys kept praying. And without a word of exaggeration, this young man started doing laps. He ran and ran and ran around the conference hall. I have never seen anything like it, and I have never seen anything like it since. But you know what? Our God is a God of miracles. Amen? It's so exciting when you see it. And do you know what? Every time I pray for somebody for healing now, I'm like, don't you decide, Sean, what God can and cannot do, because if he can do that, he can do anything, Right? Absolutely. Let me get back to my notes. I knew I'd get distracted by that because it always thrills my heart so much. We're going to turn to the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead this morning as we've just heard it read so beautifully in John's Gospel. Thank you, Sean, for that. 
And this is surely one of the Bible's most thrilling miracles. By the time we reach John chapter 11, Jesus is coming towards the end of his physical time here on earth. And tensions are running high and opposition towards him is growing. The good news is that despite everything that's going on, Jesus is about to perform his greatest miracle this side of the cross. The sad news, however, is that the news of Lazarus being raised from the dead would later cause the Sanhedrin to make decisions that led directly to the arrest, trial, conviction, and death of Jesus. Now, the opening verse of John 11 introduces us to a family of two sisters and a brother living together under one roof in the village of Bethany. And in order for us to understand this account fully, we first need to understand that Jesus loved this little family and he was familiar with their home. Mary was the one, the sister, who anointed Jesus' feet with expensive perfume in an extravagant act of worship. The fact that we're told this, though, in chapter 11 is really interesting because that account of Mary anointing Jesus' feet isn't actually relayed to us until chapter 12. But perhaps the account of Mary's extravagant worship was already familiar to people and had perhaps been passed on verbally from one person to another. Now, the family clearly loved Jesus too. Theirs was a home where Jesus was welcome. You know, just like us, Jesus needed friends to hang out with, and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were three of his pals. Jesus had healthy male and female friendships, and so when disaster struck with the death of Lazarus, the sisters knew exactly where to turn to. Jesus would have hated that his friend was so unwell. And so, verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. You see, Lazarus's death and later his resurrection would reveal more of God's glory to the family and those in their community. But let's just pause there for a second. Where do you turn to when times get tough? How far down the list of people in your support network does Jesus come? Or is Jesus your default? Great, he's first, wonderful. Is your home a place where Jesus feels welcome and where he feels comfortable to do miracles? We know from the verses that follow that it took two more days before Jesus said to the disciples in verse 7, let's go back to Judea. You see, regardless of his concern for his sick friend over in Bethany, returning to Judea was extremely dangerous for him. And in verse 8, the disciples tried to dissuade him from doing so by reminding him that a short while ago, the Jews there were trying to stone you. And yet you're going back? And going back to Judea, Jesus would embody the words that he would later speak in John 15, verse 3, that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life 
for one's friend. Jesus later finds out, probably prophetically, ahead of setting off for Bethany, that Lazarus had already fallen asleep. Our friend, he says. Remember that beautiful friendship he had with Lazarus? Our friend has fallen asleep. Now, there's an assumption when someone talks about someone sleeping that within a certain period of time, that person will also wake up. And that's how temporary Jesus perceived death to be. With Jesus, you see, not even death has the final word. It can just be temporary. But that said, verse 14, Jesus also acknowledges that Lazarus is dead. And later on in the account, the the grossness of a stench of a dead man walking out of a tomb, still wrapped in his grave clothes, would confirm that, yeah, he had been dead. At this point in the account, having heard Jesus say, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Thomas, lovely Thomas, human, gets it wrong all the time, Thomas, gets confused by Jesus. And he thinks that he's saying that they're going to go to be with Lazarus to die alongside him. And that might sound a bit daft to us readers who know the end of the story, but At the time, Thomas was probably just concerned about the growing opposition against Jesus. Now, when Jesus finally arrived in Bethany in verse 17, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And the grieving process was well underway. The delay in physically getting to Bethany tested the faith of the two sisters. You can just hear their anguish, their pain, when the two women, independently of one another, greet Jesus by saying, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's heartbreaking. You can sense the pain in their voices. And again, we've got the privilege of knowing the end of the account, but the sisters didn't, and they were broken. So again, let's pause. If our prayers go unanswered, we always want to know why, don't we? And yet there's such mystery in the kingdom of God, so much that we don't understand and perhaps won't fully understand this side of heaven. We don't always know the answers but God does. We live here on earth in the tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom, a sort of overlap of the ages, if you like, whereby to possess every spiritual blessing of Jesus' first coming is ours now. And yet we might not experience the fullness and completion of those blessings until his second coming. Let me explain this a bit. It's absolutely right to pray for healing for the sick if they're agreeable to it. And God often answers those prayers. I've experienced healing in my own life, and it's wonderful. But I also know that not all prayers for the sick have been answered. And that's a mystery. It's a painful, painful tension, a frustration that we hold this side of eternity. But, but, we are promised in Revelation 21 
that a day is coming when the new heaven and new earth will be established. That'll be a time where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It shouldn't surprise us, though, that Lazarus' sisters thought that it was game over for him. They'd never seen a resurrection before. If you've never seen a healing before, you might reasonably argue that they don't happen anymore. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Church, we need to be careful not to lower our beliefs to the standard of our experience, but instead to raise our belief to the standard of the word of God. Death no longer has the final say because of Jesus. Now in verse 24, Martha confuses Jesus' promise that Lazarus would rise again with the promise that he would rise again on the last day. And so Jesus takes her belief in the resurrection and he redirects it towards himself with this incredible declaration. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, surely this is the greatest of all of the I am statements in John's gospel. It's not just that Jesus believes in resurrection. He is the resurrection. We've already encountered Jesus' humanity in this chapter through his weeping, his love for his friends, and his care for the disciples. But now he reveals his divinity. He is the only one who can remedy Lazarus' situation. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. But just take a look at how Jesus explains that declaration even further. He says, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. All of the I am statements in John's gospel lead us into life. Now, for those who have known the agony of grief or who are going through that process now, the good news of Jesus is that those who've put their trust in him will be resurrected. And so we don't grieve as people without hope. Believers already know what it is to experience resurrection in their lives, as the Bible describes salvation as having passed from death to life, of us becoming new creations, of us becoming fully alive in Christ. And becoming fully alive in Christ doesn't just mean our physical resurrection. I wonder what else in our lives this morning needs a resurrection. Perhaps you've been living with a deficit of hope. Would you allow Jesus to restore your hope this morning? I wonder if there are any dreams you may have let go of that need resurrecting today. Well, again, would you allow Jesus to resurrect those dreams today? Not long after having revealed to Martha that he's the resurrection and the life, along comes Mary, the other sister. And she's weeping and she's totally consumed 
by grief. But her accusation was the same as Martha's. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Her grief and the grief of the Jewish mourners moves Jesus. And he's taken to where Lazarus has been laid to rest. And in an act which would express his own humanity, Jesus wept. Mary was weeping. The Jewish crowd who came with her were weeping. And Jesus wept. Perhaps in anticipation of what was ahead of him too. This short sentence, Jesus wept, would once again reveal Jesus' humanity, both to the family and to the onlookers who responded by saying, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. Very soon, they would also encounter his divine nature, but we're not quite there yet. Now, bless her, Martha was worried about the stench of death and her brother's decomposing body. I mean, after all, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. But Jesus gently reminds her of what he had said to her in verse 4. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Jesus' teaching and their corporate weeping are followed by a prayer which reveals the beauty of his relationship with his father. This is verses 41 and 2. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know, sorry, I knew that, I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And so Jesus cries out in a loud voice, just as he would do, the other Gospels tells us, at his own crucifixion. Lazarus clearly recognizes Jesus' voice, and he's raised from the dead, and he comes out of the tomb. Amazing. I know we know the story, guys, but a guy has just been raised from the dead. He's just walked out of a tomb. I'll leave that with you. What does Jesus say? Take off the grave clothes and let him go. You see, even though Lazarus had walked out the tomb, he still needed to get rid of his grave clothes. Now, that's different from Jesus, who was a whole lot tidier, because at his resurrection, um, his grave clothes were neatly folded, but not so much Lazarus. By this unbinding of his clothes, he's showing us something deeper and greater. You see, Lazarus had to take off that which had bound him to the past. He had to take off that which was associated with death. So let's pause again. What do you need to be unbound from? What things from the past are holding us bound? What aspects of our old creation life do we need to let go of? Let's not carry around grave clothes when we're meant to be living life in all of its fullness. Thank you. So how does this account end? Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. 
But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Isn't it funny when Jesus moves, you always get believers, but you always get unbelievers. The result of Lazarus's resurrection was that many believed, but actually many others acted as informers to the Pharisees. The miracle only served to increase the opposition to Jesus and a plot to kill him was hatched. And we know that the decisions of the Sanhedrin from this point on would lead directly to the arrest, trial, conviction, and death of Jesus. Now, the Sanhedrin were absolutely right in saying that many would come to believe and that Jesus would ultimately die, not just for their nation, but for the nations. And his resurrection would lead the way for others to be resurrected if they have been born again of the Spirit. So let's bring this to a close. What challenges might you take away from this passage passage here today? Do you need a miracle? I'm sorry to be so blunt in asking you, but do you? You only get a miracle when... All other avenues have failed. So if you need a miracle today, why not ask somebody to pray for you? Do you need a miracle? Perhaps you need to reconsider who you turn to when times are tough. Is Jesus your number one port of call or has he been moved down the list? Thirdly, how do you process unanswered prayer? Does it lead you into unbelief? Or are you okay trusting God with a mystery? Mystery is tough. I'm not saying that it isn't. Mystery is tough. It can be really challenging. But nevertheless, God is in control. The Bible says that he is sitting on his throne. In other words, he's not pacing up and down heaven wondering what on earth is going on. He's reigning from complete peace. And finally, what do you need to shake off from the past that is hindering your future? Life can be tough. It can be really tough. But it's much harder when you're carrying unnecessary baggage. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it brings us life. We actually believe that when we engage with it, our lives are changed. Father, thank you for this amazing account of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Father, we we actually pray that we'd see more miracles, Lord God. We invite you to move supernaturally across the town of Aberystwyth for the glory of your name and not ours. We pray, Father, that you'd help us to shake off things that are unnecessary to our future, Lord God, whether that's hurt or um, rejection or pain of any sort. 
Help us to shake it off, Jesus, because it's just not useful to us. And Father, we pray this Easter, as we celebrate your resurrection, that scores of people here in Abba would get to know you, the resurrected living Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.